Topic 9. Second Paper of 20th Century Negro Literature. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by D. Rando. 20th Century Negro Literature. Topic 9. Second Paper by Professor John Russell Hawkins. Will the Education of the Negro Solve the Race Problem? by Professor J. R. Hawkins. John Russell Hawkins, the oldest son of Ossian and Christiana Hawkins, was born in the town of Warrenton, Warren County, North Carolina, on May 31, 1862. At the age of six years, he began attending the public school of his native town and made rapid progress in his studies. When old enough to help his father work, he had to stop attending school regularly and apply himself to work on his father's farm. In the meantime, he kept up studies by attending night school and employing private tutors. At the age of 15, he went with four members of the highest class in the regular graded school to take the public examination for school teacher. Of the five examined, he made the highest grades and received an appointment as assistant teacher in the same school where he had received his first training. In 1881, he left home and went to Hampton Institute, Hampton, Virginia, where he spent one year in special study preparatory for business. In 1882, he left Hampton and accepted a position in the government service as railway postal clerk on the line between Raleigh, North Carolina, and Norfolk, Virginia. Here he soon made a record that classed him among the best clerks in the service. In 1885, Mr. Hawkins returned to his native town and was elected as principal of the graded school. Here he spent two years teaching and reading law under private tutors. In 1887, he was asked to go to Kitrill, North Carolina, to fill the position as business manager and treasurer of Kitrill College, then known as Kitrill Normal and Industrial Institute. So acceptably did Mr. Hawkins fill this position that in 1890 he was elected to the presidency of Kitrill College, which position he has filled with credit. During the first eight years of his work at Kitrill, he developed that work so rapidly that the trustees deemed it wise to accept his recommendations and broaden the work so as to cover a regular college course. Mr. Hawkins has always been an ardent advocate of higher education for the Negro and worked hard to fit himself for giving such advantages to his students. For five years, he spent his summers in the North where he could get the best school advantages and keep himself in touch with best school methods. Mr. Hawkins has been one of the most successful educators of the South and has raised large sums of money by public canvas among the philanthropists of the country. In his native state, North Carolina, he is a recognized leader among his people and by his ability and standing has won the confidence and respect of all classes. A ripe scholar, a deep thinker, a ready writer, and a polished orator, 
his services are almost constantly in demand. Indeed, it has been said of him that he is one of the finest public speakers on the stage. He speaks with such power of conviction as to touch the heart of his audiences and at once lead them into the subject under consideration with interest and profit. In 1896, he was elected by the General Conference of the African Methodist Episcopal Church as Commissioner of Education and filled that office so acceptably that at the end of his first term in 1900, he was re-elected by acclamation. He is regarded as among the strongest laymen in his church and one of the best financiers of the race. One of the finest qualities of Mr. Hawkins is his devotion to his family and his high ideals in home life. In 1892, he married Miss Lillian M. Kennedy of Sioux Falls, South Dakota, whose companionship and devotion has been a most important factor in contributing to her husband's success. They are the happy parents of two children, a girl and a boy, and are pleasantly located at Kitrill, North Carolina, in a very beautiful home. Every nation of recognized merit and ability chronicled in the world's history is proud to revert to some special feature of its life and point with pride to some one thing that has given character to its institutions and added to its national glory. As far back as history runs, we find nations, classes, and races pointing out different things as the stronghold, the groundwork, the pillars on which their fame rests. The thing to which the Negro can point with most pride is the activity and progress made in the development of an ideal home life and the providing of a liberal education for his people. Indeed, it is worthy of note that in both church and state there is a growing interest in behalf of extending to all classes the privileges and benefits of at least a limited education. Nations that once thought of nothing but war and conquest are throwing their influence in the skill of popular education. Countries that have long wielded the scepter of power and held thousands subject to the will and opinion of one man or set of men are being aroused to the importance of individual thought and individual responsibility. Churches and organizations that necessarily began their work with one or two as leaders who had to do the thinking for hundreds of others are now turning their attention to the work of training and developing the faculties and character of each one so as to enable him to think and act intelligently for himself. This is the spirit of the present age. In this lies the hope and destiny of all classes and all races. Hence, if there be any particular problem as connected with the Negro race, in my opinion, the solution of that problem will come only by following the rule of action applied to the uplifting and development of others. The Negro is no new species of nature. He is no new issue in the category of life, no new element in the citizenship of this country, and needs no special prescription to suit his needs. His case is one common to a people whose surroundings and environments have placed or caused them to be placed in a dependent attitude, 
and his only hope for rising above the common level of a menial slave is to so husband his resources as to change these environments and become the master of rather than the helpless creature of circumstances. The faithful pioneers who carried the torch of knowledge into darkened regions and cheered the lives of thousands with rays of hope and promise opened the way for the liberation of great forces that had long lain dormant and smothered. Knowledge has been the torch in the civilizer's hand, and carrying this steel, we can find treasures still unearthed and truths still unlearned. The glories already achieved in the field of science, art, and literature have but aroused us to seek for still greater honors. The ray of light that has fallen across our pathway, giving hope and promise of better and brighter things further on, has but fired the zeal within us, and there is no way of satisfying this burning zeal save the feasting on the coveted goal, the riches and beauties of wisdom. One writer says, as long as one's mind is shrouded in ignorance, he is but the tool of others and the victim of foolishness and gross absurdities. He will never experience those pleasures which come from a well-directed train of thought and which is akin to the dignity of a high nature. On the other hand, the person whose mind is illumined with the light of knowledge and whose soul is lit up is introduced, as it were, into a new world. He can trace back the stream of time to its commencement and gliding along its downward course, can survey the most memorable events and see the dawnings of divine mercy and the manifestations of the Son of God in our nature. Tis not enough to know that we have faculties. Tis not sufficient to say that there lives in us the power to see, to hear, to feel, to reason, to think and to act. We must develop these powers until we can feel the benefit of the blessings that come from their use. We will never be able to reason for ourselves unless we learn to think for ourselves. The thinking mind is the active mind, and the active mind is the growing mind. The growing mind moves the man, and the man that moves helps to move the world. He moves step by step from the common level of events to things of greater height. He rises from pinnacle to pinnacle, never ceasing, never tiring, never stopping, ever growing, ever moving, ever rising, till he finds the fountainhead of all truth and all virtue. We are now face to face with a new order of things. Under this new regime, we witness the foreshadowing of a higher sense of civilization a higher standard of morals, a broader field of culture, and a purer realm of thought. Indeed, we are only in the shadow of this great light. Tis not the promise alone that brightens our sky. The dawn has appeared. The music of the morn has already been heard, and nations are awakening and rushing to crowd around the altar as worshippers at the shrine of learning. What lover of letters would doubt for a moment that if Thomas Carlyle could re-enter the world of letters and dignify the profession with the fertility of his brain, 
instead of captivating the world with his beautiful outline of heroes and hero worship he would summon all his powers as an agency to do reverence as a worshipper at the shrine not of things material not of men but of ideas this is the school to which we are crowding in the development of our educational system we are enabled to find the highest ideals and center our thoughts on the highest and purest standard of life only those who think or those who seek to know the virtues of intelligence and to enjoy the beauties of a pure and ideal life can enter into the spirit of rejoicing over the approach of the time when each person will be measured by what is represented in his ability to exert a potent influence in shaping the destiny of things and helping to mold public sentiment the mind can no more be allowed to remain dormant or inactive than the turf of the field or the muscles of the body it must be stirred up it must be awakened from its stupor and quickened into a newness of life the opportunity for this general awakening was denied our parents who were the victims of slavery and they suffered the loss of the prestige and influence that naturally follows but what was lost to our ancestry must be redeemed to posterity we must center our work in the youth of our land and give them the broadest deepest and highest training the most liberal education should be provided for all an education free from bias free from proscription free from any label that will mark them as negro laborers as negro mechanics as negro scholars but an education that will mark them as artisans as skilled mechanics as scholars thinkers as men and women with masterminds and noble souls in this will we find the reward for our labors and the hope of the race i agree with the writer who says there is nothing to be compared with the beauty of an excellent character and the usefulness of a noble life to the unlimited unfettered spirit of man's mind that can rise above the mountain peaks and sweep across the ocean bounds to that unequal beauty of a pure and spotless soul the whole earth with all its beauties of art and skill are counted as naught in the sight of god as compared with a living creature that represents in his body the image of his creator and in his mind and soul the divine principles of the mystery the power and glory of his son tis not enough to know that schools and colleges exist and to boast of the advantages and opportunities afforded us we must lay hold upon them and become a part of them we must by our own efforts out of our own means build own and control our own institutions for the training of our youths and then establish enterprises of business for the practical display and use of the training received the great trouble about our system of education is that the masses have not yet felt the real good of it to some it is no good because they have simply gotten enough to misuse you cannot satisfy a man's appetite by stopping him at the door of your dining room where he can get only a smell of the dinner while he sees others eating of course he would turn away in disgust and call it all a farce 
You cannot teach a man to swim by stopping him at the water's edge. You cannot convince a man that he is at the top of a mountain when you stop him at the base where he can look up and see others above him. And you cannot show a man the virtue of education when you stop him at the schoolhouse door and deny him entrance while others crowd by and pass through. Let him in. Open the doors wide and let all come in and sit down to the intellectual feast. We want to bring the people out into the middle of the stream, into the deep water where they can be borne up by the strong tide of intellect and follow the current of popular ideas. We must take them up and away from the foot of the mountain, place them on top, where they can bask in the sunlight of intelligence, where the atmosphere is pure and the virtue of education beams in every eye. God made man in his own image, prepared him a body, arranged for his food and raiment, stretched nature before him, and then commissioned him to go forth and subdue, replenish and have dominion over all. Yea, more than this, he endowed man with reasoning faculties, and for these faculties fixed no bounds, but left them to work out their own destiny and achieve their own triumphs. I do not believe God intended for man's mind to remain undeveloped. He did not intend that his creatures should forever remain ignorant and shrouded in ignorance. Wherever he places talents there, he expects to find evidence of growth and increase. Hence, it is our duty to educate and prepare all for the intelligent use of what God has given them. If we expect to have a part in shaping events in this life, if we expect to be numbered among the learned, the strong, the molders of public sentiment, the masters of things material, free from abject menial servitude, we must educate the people. Let this idea run all through our schools until it permeates the life of every boy, every girl, every man, every woman, making its influence felt in every home, every clime, and among all nations. End of Topic 9, Second Paper